Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our final episode of What's the Crack? We're going on hiatus. Indefinitely. We're close for refurbishment. We're close for refurbishment. <laughs> and we don't know when we're going to come back. It all depends on Rob. So his Twitter <laughs> is at Calder Rob. So just, you know, bombard him if you want to know what's happening. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> is that it? Is I wouldn't that... hang on a response from my Twitter account. That's fair. But I'll, Lindsay I'll is going to Australia. Melbourne. Melbourne. Number one city in the world to live in. Apparently. Apparently. And I am going to Toronto, the number one city in the world to live in. Um, so I've already introduced who's with me today, Rob and Lindsay. Hi. Hello. Hi. And our end of term special is going to be on drugs in films. Um, so it's it's, represent, it's drugs represented and its use in films. It's going to be quite a broad chat. Just going to have some of this chat, maybe some examples of films that we've seen and what, what we're bringing in. But um, I'm sure we've all seen films with drugs in them. Um, Lindsay's shaking her head. She's not seen any films with drugs in them. Um, I'm going to name a few of the old golden oldies as we start. So it's uh, one of the first films with drugs in them was Frank Sinatra's Man with a Golden Arm. First mm. ever recorded use no, of drug on film. No, 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 no. <laughs> one of the first. I'm not. I ain't got into that much research, <laughs> but one of the first was Man with the Golden Arm, um, which was uh, with Frank Sinatra, who plays a card dealer who wants to kick his heroin addiction, mm. and the drama with that. So it was. Uh, it obviously sparked a lot of controversy because it was one of one of the first. Uh, depictions of a taboo subject, which was heroin dependence. Um, I, I would suggest that um, one of the earliest films to uh, deal with the um, the nature of addiction was perhaps Nosferatu. What's that? That's like the original <coughs> monster film, Vampire. About a vampire, right? Mm. Like Dracula, that mm. kind of thing. Yeah. Why? What? Who? What is he addicted to? Blood. Well, I think there are <laughs> there are overtones of the of the outsider and their behaviour, which uh, doesn't fit with society, and uh, compelling behaviour and this view of them as a monster. But actually, when you get to know them, they're a, they're a real individual, oh. a kind of a person, a compassionate um, individual. Um, Spoilers for Nosferatu. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. If you, yeah, if you want to know what happens, we when was put, that made then? 
Um, we're eating popcorn. And the thing about the end of term special is we have no references or is, <laughs> citations this, to back up what we're saying. This is our uh, USP for today. Well, was it in the 1940s, 1950s? I think it was like 1920s. Oh, wow. Okay, so even before Reefer Madness. If you picture like a vampire man who's like bald and is like... 1922. 1922, so it was like super early. Who doesn't know about film now? Not me. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah, great. That is one of the first then, or is it said well, like under, undertones? I suppose there's something about it which is maybe they're reflecting a taboo subject by abstracting it through monsterism mm. and through science fiction. Yeah, science fiction often dealing with a lot of subjects in interesting ways and horror. Exactly. So, mm. well, then Reefer Madness came in the 30s, mm-hmm. I think, which we've mentioned in a couple of our other podcasts when we're trying to go drugs are the worst thing ever. Yeah. Um, that comes from pretty much reefer madness which is an american propaganda film which uh, showed the well the spiraling out of control lives of people who took cannabis going from murder suicide to uh, ending up in madness mm. um i'm assuming it's, shown to school kids but yeah <laughs> but also considering the the compelling nature of that plot you know someone takes a substance spirals into you know murder madness and and chaos so it's quite a difficult film to get to the end of. I mean, yeah. it's a fairly, it's a fairly dry watch considering <laughs> it's taken some really, really juicy storylines. Yeah. Um, oh, for cannabis as well. When people actually mm. try cannabis and realise that that isn't the spiral that they're going for, mm. who are they going to trust? Do you think Reefer Madness was foreshadowing a uh, spice? Ooh. Spice Madness. They should spice remake it. <laughs> they're all about remakes. Hollywood now. Maybe they will. Great idea. Spice we, Madness. Yeah, and chuck Captain America in. <laughs> it could be a huge <laughs> blockbuster hit. Spice yeah. Madness on a plane. <laughs> it's the film of the century. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. So, sorry, are you well, saying about the madness? Mm. <laughs> no, no, I was just saying, um, I guess we've moved on from those times and it's now super prevalent in films. How it's, at least recreational use as well, is in quite a lot of what comedies and loads of films just casually yeah. being used. Um, but... Daniel, I think my point of discussion of have we moved on with uh, its depiction of dependence or addiction and does it show it that well? Um, mm. Or are there films that they do show it that well and we have actually moved on from drugs? Can I say something about moving on? Ooh, just because please of, do. Thank you, yeah. I'm, so just a disclaimer is that I don't watch a lot of films or like to talk about films, so great to be here, <laughs> as ever. Um, <laughs> but is um, Rob's... Is your thing about reefer madness that it's like someone takes a drug and then they go out of control and they've got like a Jekyll and Hyde style Mm. situation where they become a totally different person. Isn't that actually often used within film still today? Like that someone takes a drug and then does some... It's basically often used in films. So thinking about what Rob was saying about the film Reefer Madness where someone takes a drug and they act totally out of character, do crazy things... um, you know, and basically become a different person. I think that's still used a lot in films as just a plot device. Mm. And a lot of films that I've seen recently, it's like um, someone takes some kind of drug. The other day, I saw the film Mindhorn. There's a popular film reference. Right. <laughs> I've, never, I've never heard those letters put together in that way. Okay, before. so this is like a new British film. And it's got Julian Barrett in it. Oh, um, yes, no, yes, no, I've, seen, I've read the reviews, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm totally all over that. <laughs> um, and there's some bit in that where someone takes some drugs and it totally, like, basically upends the entire plot of the film because they act in a crazy way and it's real, like, a mm. plot device to move mm. the film along. And there's a lot of other films 
which I can think of where that happens and someone like takes drugs and then oh my god they act so crazy and then they have to deal with like can I have another example yeah as I haven't seen mine horn so potentially choose one that you think I've seen (laughs) (laughs) Um, either I watch no films or just an obscure film this is uh, the the, the subsequent 20 minutes of the podcast (laughs) Lindsay naming films and Elle saying no no No. okay what about the what about the hangover yeah go for that and our listeners will know too. <laughs> so the hangover, they take uh, MDMA, have a really crazy wild roofies. night. Roofies, they take roofies. They take roofies, mm. okay. And um, yeah, totally act incredibly out of character. Crazy things happen. They basically become different people and then uh, spend the rest of the film trying to deal with the consequences of what their alter egos have done. So the mm. drug is the pivotal point of it. Yeah, to push it forward. so the use of a drug to bring out an alter ego within mm. someone, I think is still really prominent within films and kind of a drug making you out of control and into an out of control version of yourself mm. is still the real portrayal of drug use in a lot of mainstream films also film which I might reference a lot because I watched it recently the one about the wedding dates some people oh. use wedding dates oh with Zac Efron um, Aubrey Plaza <laughs> yeah so and so and so is it Mike and Dave need, yeah Mike and Dave need wedding dates so mm. also in Mike and Dave need wedding dates some people in that take MDMA, you know, do some crazy stuff, have to deal with the consequences of that. Um, so there's a lot, actually, there's a lot of, like, taking drugs and dealing with the consequences if you're out of control, alter ego mm. behaviour the next day. Mm. That's yeah. what I see a lot of in films. Well, I think films are kind of, um, they're kind of restricted, really. I mean, in order for films to, like, come in at under an hour and a half or to not turn into absolute epics, you need a lot of, um, you need things to happen and everything needs to count. And it's the... Uh, it's the Chekhov thing of if there's a if there's a gun on the wall in Act One, it'll be fired by Act Three or something, and so it's the same with with drugs. It, it, you know, if you're looking What's at this it, Chekhov thing, uh, it's um, Chekhov, Chekhov is a, is a Russian playwright, author? Russian playwright, author, yeah. playwright. Um, so you so, che- so Chekhov, this um, Russian playwright, said lots of stuff about uh, about drama and how it should be put, and, and he said if there's a gun on the wall in Act One, it'll be fired by by Act Three or uh, you know, I paraphrase. And um, the idea being about kind of uh, dialogue or plot devices that are extraneous. You know, what's the point? If you go to a play, what's the point of having a gun on the wall if it's not going to be shot? You need everything in there to, to kind of mean something or to go somewhere. And you see it in um, in kind of modern modern films and modern films and um, and series. You know, it, you're in episode two of something, and someone accidentally you know, drops some drugs or something and you think oh there's no point in that that's that's filled up that's that's completed but it's not it's there for a reason you know the plot people have put it in there because it serves a purpose in the plot and when you're making a film if you're going to have drugs in it it needs to serve the plot Mm. um which means you're unlikely to get the kind of common um everyday kind of tedious banality of of drug use in a film because it has to serve a plot and it's that thing you know only one one in an awful big number hundred or so only one in a big number <laughs> <clears throat> very few people who uh, take drugs um, will have uh, really really uh, quite crazy life-changing uh, very very harmful circumstances but they're the stories that people tell because they're interesting stories um, and whereas you know the stories of someone who grows up and experiments with cannabis and MDMA, comes to no harm, and then goes on to work in an estate agent. It's probably not going to get made into a film. It's kind of 
Yeah, I suppose it's similar to how if someone goes on a boat in a film, you know, how many cruise liners sink? But yeah. then there's the Poseidon Adventure, Titanic. Mm. No one's making a film about a, like an unadventurous cruise. Yeah, it, yeah. it gets to its destination and everyone's fine. Yeah, mm. yeah. stops off, has some like nice time on an island along the way. I don't but know, I haven't been had drugs in that boot uh, on that cruise, <laughs> got a film. <laughs> <laughs> See? Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So dr- the representation of drugs in film is... Potentially necessarily amped up because of the need for drama and entertainment mm. and exciting plot lines, yeah. mm. which you can get from dr- drugs immediately. But you know what I mean? As in the the things that you see with drugs in in the media is the extreme. So you can put that into the film. I mm. completely forgot what my point was. <laughs> it's a really good point, though. Mm. Great. <laughs> but yeah, it just fits in what the media is saying. And film is a form of media, so it makes sense that you would show mm. the how drugs are shown in newspapers, radio, as it is in a film. But film studies is a separate degree to media studies, so it is also its own mm. medium. <laughs> wow. <laughs> got nothing to say about film. <laughs> but here you are. My friend did film studies. In a recent survey of university <laughs> courses, I found... Um, uh, th- I was, uh, yeah, go on. I was going to say human traffic... Um, mm. Um, is a film from the 90s. Most of my films are going to come from the 90s, apart from Nosferatu, 1922. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Real spread. Most of my films are going to be very light comedies from the last 20 years. Perfect. That's all I like. Um, so Human Traffic um, is. is a film Maybe starring... 80s. Shall I go 80s? Go 80s. I'll go 80s or very modern. I've got some modern examples I can throw out the bag earlier. Anyway, um, sorry Rob, 90s and Nosferatu over here. <laughs> so in the 90s they made this film called Nosferatu. <laughs> <laughs> It's due a remake. <laughs> like much things in the 90s, we thought we invented it, but turns out it had been done before. Um, no, there was Human Traffic, which is a film with John Sim and Danny Dyer, a very young Danny Dyer in it. Um, and it's just, um, it was quite trendy at the time and, and probably in, in hindsight lacking substance. Um, but it's a film of a group of young city people going out um, uh, for a weekend. It's just like Friday night, Saturday night, um, they go out, they go clubbing, they take drugs, they go back to an after party. Um, they chat, they get lost, and then they wake up the following day and meet up in the pub. And that's all there is. There's very little kind of real plot beyond that. Um, but there was, again, I th- you know, I think it's very of its time, um, worth a watch. But um, it was one of the films that kind of just said, well, this is kind of how people experience those nights without, without there being a massive the drama about it, without people kind of... Um, you know, coming to massive harm or massive dependency, or without the drugs being used to propel a plot about, you know, suicide or mental health or pregnancy. It was just a group of people um, taking drugs. It's it's worth a watch, but um, yeah, very nineties. So kind of unique in that. Like, mm. is it a boring film? No, it's a good film. It's got oh. da- it's got Danny Dyer. On All right, it. yeah, sorry, my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Dyer and John Sim. So it's lacking substance, but not lacking illicit substances. <laughs> oh, tagline. <laughs> I just choked on my popcorn. That's fair. Um, <laughs> that's understandable when something as hilarious as yeah. that was said. Uh, yeah. Okay, I've got a question then. What do you what do you think people learn from drugs in films? We might have already answered it within something else, but as in, if you were just watching films and you'd never taken drugs in your life, what do you think we learn from it? Because I'm thinking in my head, <laughs> when I'm like, if you're watching, I don't know, Train Spotting or Wolf of Wall Street, when it's all like 
Well, the Wall Street, yeah, when it's just like the extreme. <laughs> and mm. I'm just like, if you had never, I don't know if that was the first film that you saw about drugs, you'd be like, what is going on? In Wolf of Wall Street, they manage a really successful business whilst taking a lot of drugs. That's true, the functional, the yeah. functional, mm. which probably takes us on to Smashed. Lindsay, you can talk about Smashed <laughs> as well, because <laughs> Smashed is a really good film. It came out in 2012 and stars Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Aaron Paul. Aaron Paul from the Breaking Bad series, a.k.a. Mary um, Elizabeth Winstead from 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh, beautiful, brilliant, yeah. I haven't seen that yet. Watched it the week. I really want to see that. Mm. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's a great film because I think it shows... Um, you're looking confused, Rob. Have you seen it? No. <laughs> 90s. <laughs> 90s is not for us. It's 2012. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> you were going to borrow it off me, though. Sorry that I didn't lend it to you. Okay. Mm. I'll just look stupid on the podcast. Ah, <laughs> my complete. It'll be a quick one. It's fine. Um, but anyway, Smashed is about um, function uh, someone functioning with alcohol dependence. Someone quite young, um, holding down a job as a teacher and a marriage and also a social life. Although Lindsay's smiling because she doesn't then therefore hold it because she's you know spiraling slightly. Um, but it's kind of. I guess again with the propel thing, it's fueled. The storyline is fueled with her alcohol use, but we are looking into her lives of dealing with a marriage and her job and everything else within taking alcohol. So it's not primarily just about this is a story about alcohol. It's how is someone dealing with it as a young functioning um, young adult, I guess. Because I think I, I can't. I don't know the names, but uh, ages. Sorry, but I'm assuming uh, late twenties, early thirties with yeah, it. Yeah, early twenties. It's also quite a comparison because uh, she, the the female lead Mary, uh, is trying to uh, become sober and go to AA meetings and basically, yeah, have a have a dry life. Whereas her husband isn't ready for that. So I guess it works into that of seeing how a relationship is battling between someone who continuously wants to drink and go out and party and like, oh, one drink won't, won't harm you, it's fine. And then someone who's wanting to keep sober and is that, I guess it's that relationship that is quite damaging to it. Mm. But I think it's a really good film and I think it um, shows it quite well. So yeah, and I think Smashed was interesting because it starts at the point where she's on a knife edge between functioning and not functioning. And it's about what tips her into looking to get help and I suppose in, like you're saying, the comparison that she has with her husband, who's also drinking a lot, it highlights, I suppose, differences in what p- different people see as problematic and what mm. someone, what will yeah. be a problem for one person isn't a problem for another. Um, there was something else interesting within it, which I'm trying to think about. Oh, yeah, and there was an interesting point in it where she um, is talking to um, someone who she's like works with, a professional and explaining her behaviour and, you know, she's trying to talk about how she's got an alcohol problem. And the person actually says, oh, so are you, what, so before she said she's got an alcohol problem, they're like, what's wrong? They're like, are you ill? Do you have an illness? And they're like really sympathetic to what's been going on with her. And she's like, well, actually, I've got an alcohol problem. You know, I'm an alcoholic, I'm in treatment. And then they like lose all sympathy for her. Mm -hmm. And there's that kind of thing was if she had an illness which was a physical illness they'd obviously be full of sympathy and willing to help her but once she says she's an alcoholic they just lose all sympathy for her and they see it only as her own fault and I think that's an interesting thing which the film highlights as well how we view addiction and alcohol problems which is something that we've talked about you yeah know, is addiction a disease and you know is it an illness and how do we see it in society often in society we see it as a moral failing and something where people mm. should just buck up and stop 
drinking alcohol and stop taking drugs and it's definitely not as easy as that for a lot of people and I think the film highlights that really well yeah I agree it, it sounds like it kind of touches on the um, the ambivalence as well of, uh, of, of drug use in that um, often people who are using drugs problematically are quite ambivalent about change which is that you know they've got strong motivations in both directions to change and to not change and and most films don't do that they're either kind of they decide somehow at the board meeting at the beginning that drugs are going to be good or drugs are going to be bad and, and in all fairness don't have many drivers to kind of explore the the difficulties or the ambigu- ambivalence that mm. lies there so it sounds like that has a bit that film has a bit of that in it it does have a bit of that it. and there's also something else in it which is that there's a point when uh, quite near the start so I feel like this isn't a spoiler but she ends up smoking crack and like mm. everyone who she drinks with mm. um, you know crack is like so beyond the pale yeah, whereas like their like crazy alcohol use is absolutely fine and it draws that distinction between what is a social norm and what mm. we kind of see as acceptable behaviour and what uh, even though they're like continuously drinking alcohol yeah, and she's just like this one time, one time smoked crack it, which yeah. you know wasn't a great health move but <laughs> <laughs> they don't they see that as much worse mm. than their like continual and ongoing like alcohol yeah. abuse and that was interesting as well but I think you're right about the way that films portray it's either like it's either like a good thing or it's fine and if a film is like I think generally if a film is aimed at young people and is like trying to be cool, it's like, hey, there's some drug use in this film, and it's yeah. no real big deal, just people having a crazy time. Well, uh, and on the other end of that um, um, continuum, you've got um, films like Bad Neighbour that, that take a, a kind of committed glamorisation of, um, of drugs. You know, I mean, it's it's cartoon, and um, I don't particularly object to it as a film, but the, you know, the, which it, film? Bad Neighbours? Bad oh, Bad Neighbours, sorry. With Zac Efron. Yeah, when yeah. you said cartoon, it, it put me off. Uh, as yeah. in, it threw me. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> Another um, film with Zac Efron, of course, is uh, Mike and Dave Need Winning. <laughs> great to just really look at the back We're really of Zac Efron in this. We're really giving yeah. examples of great films in this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Later, Hairspray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, um, so Bad Neighbours. Well, towards the end, they, they, you know, there's, there's lots of drug use, there's lots of cannabis, uh, cannabis use and mushrooms and... Mm. Oh, because it's got that guy in mm. Seth Rogen, mm. who makes mm. like taking drugs and films like is his USP. Yeah. That's his thing, yeah. which he does. Um, and mm. at the end, there's this kind of you know it all spirals out of control, not out of control, but it all spirals to the point where they've kind of got these big um, wheelbarrows full of weed that they're trying to smoke as much weed as possible. And it's it's cartoon and it's not meant to be real and it's not and it is silly. Um, but there's certainly a, a glamorisation there of kind of let's, you know, let's take as many drugs as we possibly mm. can. Sounds glamorous. Nothing says glamour like a wheelbarrow. <laughs> <laughs> wheelbarrow of cannabis. <laughs> they yeah. had very manicured nails. <laughs> <laughs> and lawns. Yeah. Bad neighbours. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, as in, that is the other extreme of it, like it being casually being put in as in just a thing that I guess university students or, you know college students uh, would do just take it quite um, mm. on the regs um, another great example of a film um, <laughs> great example of a film this could be anything oh gosh sorry um, <laughs> Sisters with Amy Poehler and Tina Fey because um, again that was just a, they wanted to recreate this great party and it was going to be great if they had drugs there and they had a drug dealer to come in who was John Cena um, and it was just, you know, it would be a great party if they had drugs. So it was also a thing of let's recreate and have some amazing times. But, you know, no one takes drugs and it 
it's fine. Mm-hmm. But if we want to have a great party, then we've got to, you know, have weed and do MDMA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like there's something else in Sisters with Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Mm-hmm. Even so though glad. you've seen no films. <laughs> <laughs> As... <laughs> the so... biggest contributor to this podcast <laughs> is... Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Lindsay, who doesn't watch films? <laughs> Every film. I watched that last week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm in the closet. I pretend that I don't watch films, and then I stealth hit people mm. with my insights. That's your USP. I, uh, I hate films and discussing films, secretly online, though, of course, <laughs> film studies. <laughs> that is not, not the same as media studies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. Um, so the other thing with Sisters is that in the film, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler play two very different personalities. Mm. And I think there's something in that about Tina Fey's character is like very used to taking drugs, and whereas Amy Poehler's character more against it. Is mm. that what I'm? Am I remembering yeah, that correctly? Yeah, yeah. And I think there's something about how in films drug use is often used as shorthand for personality, mm. and mm. Um, for a personality type, it's like they will show a person it'll be like this person smokes weed, and you kind of get a real you instantly have like a shorthand for how for what that person mm. is like, or you know this person isn't alcoholic or I think often films put in addiction problems as well just kind of as a little oh and this person also has an addiction you know additional yeah so whilst drug users use the shorthand for personality I suppose that is borne out by the research evidence because things like sensation seeking impulsivity novelty seeking are personality traits you know psychologically Mm -hmm. identified personality traits which tend to be associated with people using drugs so whilst it can sometimes feel a bit like lazy shorthand for what someone is like 
you know, there is certain um, traits within people which predispose mm. them towards drug use. So And evidence research behind that, mm. I guess, that they can use. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and evidence research behind that. So maybe that is a seemingly lazy but actually fair thing to yeah. do in films. So, carry on. Yeah, Rob, you've got your hand up. <laughs> Would you like to speak, Rob? Um, so, no, I, th- I think that's a really good point. And, and there's one, you know, one of the kind of, I, th- I think, laziest but incredibly effective um, tropes for kind of using drug use as a personality is cigarettes, isn't it? You know, you get someone, you get someone who smokes and it is used as a, that it was really used to kind of quite, um, yeah, the effect was quite commented on it in Mad Men, you know, it was all, mm. all the press was about how much these people smoke. And it in that context it was pointing towards an era towards a kind of an, an era of work a kind of nostalgic view of these things and I think uh, increasingly in modern times when you know smoking prevalence is going down you have uh, the smoking person is that kind of devil may care doesn't care about their health it's you know it's still the Marlboro man isn't it if you want mm. touches of the Marlboro man you give your character a cigarette and um, you know it shows that they're a little bit wild and I think it's a really lazy trope and I think it brings up some really interesting issues about drugs in film because there's been quite a lot of studies on the effect of, of smoking in, in, in film. I have a, like a personal gripe with um, smoking as this really anti-establishment behaviour in films because obviously when you're smoking you're just constantly giving money to a huge corporation. Mm. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. you're, I'm so anti-establishment yet I'm consistently having to pay a lot of money to a very large corporation and very capitalistic organisation <laughs> because I'm so anti-establishment yeah. and such a rebel. So that's my personal mm. gripe with smoking. Yeah, yeah. Sorry Rob, you probably had some more things to say. No, but no. Definitely put that well, in the podcast. Well, I'll just quick... <laughs> <laughs> Well, isn't it? I, I need to find that, and the, the, this will be research that I'll put in for evidence. But there's, um, I think it was the production studios or films that didn't have enough money would put smoking in their films because the tobacco industry would provide money for advertising within films when it was, I think, when it was allowed or something. Actually, I should probably find the reference for that before I say it. But I as in, the cheaper films would have more smoking in. Or the, you know the the lower budget mm. film would have more smoking in because it would be funded by the tobacco industry, mm. which is quite interesting, I think. So films are advertising. Yeah, it is an advertisement anyway. Yeah, a form of I reckon. And there's mm. there's some there's some good evidence um, about the association between um, smoking appearing on screen and people certainly young people initiating smoking, um, and I think that 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 raises some really interesting questions about you know about the tobacco industry, about uh, smoking in films, but also kind of those questions extend beyond smoking and, and to drug use, you know, that people use people use drug use as tropes and they use it as character devices and as, as film devices, but there is, you know, to what extent is there a responsibility for filmmakers to put things on screen that are going to then 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 change people's behaviour? And this was the whole discussion that happened when Trainspotting came out, because it was a much more nuanced film around around drug use you know the big conversation in the media was that this wasn't that it glamorized but it 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 showed or it entertained the idea that taking drugs could be fun and Mm. that taking heroin could be fun you know that whole tagline you know otherwise we wouldn't do it um and that was there was a massive uh debate at the time about whether this was a responsible thing to show or an irresponsible thing to show um and uh, yeah i think there's there's some really interesting questions there what do you think was yeah. it irresponsible or irresponsible oh I, yeah i i think it's in i think in re, in its context i think it was um really important um 
because it came against a backdrop kind of coming uh, that kind of the whole late 80s you know the the HIV um, adverts and this whole kind of heroin is 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 death heroin is doom and it wasn't a real message you know people who had experiences of heroin use couldn't match up the government warnings with their experiences and I think mm. what train spotting did was it, it bought a more kind of nuanced or subtle or, or real approach to it I think I, I think it is is flawed in an awful lot of ways in terms of its its drug depiction but but I think it did something for the for the conversation at the time mm. and film is art so film shouldn't be or film is supposed to be telling stories or reflecting life or being art and it shouldn't be like a medium necessarily for public health messages like if that mm. if it's a way of reflecting people's experience or telling a different story to what we're constantly hearing I don't know how much you should although I'm trying to think how many other I suppose there is an extent to which film is censored by funding and things like that but mm. yeah it's, yeah I don't know I don't know if film should necessarily be the medium yeah. through which we trying to regulate people's public yeah. health like you should yeah hopefully you'd be doing a good enough job of putting out the health messages in society that people can watch a film and go away and not have their health Plus you're still kind of like very restricting your audience who's going to get that public health message. It's someone who is wanting to go to the cinema to see that specific film. So you're still only, I guess, targeting a very specific person with that public <clears throat> health message. So do you think Do you think there is an argument for um, uh, putting an age restriction on films with cigarettes did that come in recently, or is it, is that one of the, is, is it a, a current debate? Oh, having just said that film is art, yeah, I'm quite pro that. <laughs> well, pro that you should have an age restriction on it. I think so, yeah. But then, well, I don't. Mm, maybe not. But then, are you going to bring in films that have alcohol use also have to have an age restriction? Like, why is that already the case? No, I don't think it is, and that would wipe out so many films. Mm. Uh, Titanic. Gone, going straight up from a 12 to an 18 yeah um, yeah that would rewrite the course of cinematic history <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> do, you, do you mean age restriction as in 18 um, no it's probably I, not 18 it's probably it's probably not 18 it might even be 12 or something for but... American audiences oh I don't <laughs> even know how the film's different yeah I don't know there. either um, but as in if it was 12 it'd be confusing if there were cigarettes in a U or a PG oh no maybe a, a PG well, certainly in Little Mermaid it would be yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I don't know. I don't know how many to wipe out. That's I'm trying I mean. to think how I much think alcohol use there is. Just we don't know enough about it. Yeah, but no, but I think that's yeah. I just don't know. But to me, it feels like yeah. I don't know. Probably not. No, I don't think so. Mm. I think people can cope with seeing stuff happen. But, but then, yeah, but then but if, if, if someone was injecting heroin, that would be you wouldn't want that as a you. <sighs> that's true. Actually, you're right. That's really like that's really um, shifted my view. Um, yeah, I don't know, uh, but I think, weed, I but I think there's something about the difference between drug use in films and tobacco use in films. If mm. there's this tobacco industry involvement in films, mm. because then there's a line between it being something which is relevant to the character and to the plot, yeah. or something which is it's a subtle, accurate, yeah, accurate. is it a way of just advertising some a product to younger people? And I think that's the delineation which is difficult to make with tobacco and alcohol, but which is easy to make with mm. illicit drugs because there isn't at the moment, an industry behind illicit drug yeah. use. Although it would be something mm. important to consider in policy change around yeah. cannabis, cannabis use yeah. and other things like that. What level of involvement they're going to 
of advertising. And That's a good point. It's a so, big conversation at the moment, isn't it? Do you, do you want big cannabis in the same way that you've got big tobacco? Um, for me, absolutely not. No. But and I think that's just America's a health researcher and addictions researcher. <laughs> bigger. <laughs> bigger than yeah. it. I think yeah, tobacco sick. doesn't have enough hold on society, <laughs> if you ask me. <laughs> Sorry, what were you going to say? No, just like, I think what, in the States, because of their differing policies, potentially they could have that role. Obviously not as big at the time, uh, now, because obviously alcohol's massive. Um, but mm. potentially, but like other countries, what with Canada bringing it in, I don't think they're. Well, they're very public health focused in stopping youth use, very focused like that. So I don't think they'll be going down that road. But I don't. Yeah, I'm hoping that I'm not a big cannabis because that's not the idea that we want. Mm. I think um, with um, Canada, it will be interesting what happens anyway. Because I know that smoking is very unpopular amongst young people yeah. in Canada. And so I wonder what their rules are around films and smoking there. But I think there's often something in films about um, just moving the conversation on entirely because I feel like we've probably run out of things to say about policy. So I feel like there's often something in films which, which is rarely depicted in films but you kind of see through the subtle like shifting of what drugs are featured in films yeah. like MDMA suddenly becoming very like mainstream in comedy use like three films that we've already mentioned that I'm not yeah. going to mention again but like modern films let's get high and party yeah, let's, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> but there's also in um, 21 Jump Street the 21 <laughs> Jump Street remake which actually is an entire drug plot where they're trying mm, to track yeah. down the source of this like new drug which emerged novel psychoactive substance things like this um, where they go into the school and this guy is like smoking and trying to be cool and all the young people in the school are like sorry smoking isn't cool anymore yeah. and they mm. think this guy is a massive loser for smoking whereas that's like the traditional image I think maybe films are sometimes keeping up with modern times depicting yeah. like differences in attitudes towards druggies mm. don't know what you guys think no, <laughs> no. Well, I don't film queen over here <laughs> I don't think we're gonna solve the does art reflect life or life reflect art you don't think we will? That's what I came in here for. As soon as you mentioned Chekhov, I was like, we're solving that today. <laughs> Set my time for 50 minutes. <laughs> we're going to solve it. It'll be done. I think it does reflect it. I think it does, definitely. Yeah. So maybe, there'll be less smoke- so maybe there'll be less smoking and stuff like that yeah. in films as you know, young people so, yeah. are dropping smoking. But then young smoke people are also supposed to be... Or maybe vapes will come in. E-cigarettes will you be more see, prevalent in it. You do see e-cigarettes coming up in yeah. films and series these days. So, I mean, I think it'll be more to reflect it. And, like, w- will your character be smoking or will they be vaping? Who knows? And what will that say about them? Yeah, or they'll be smoking crack. Gee, there's, a part, <laughs> there's, there's a part of me that sees someone on, on screen smoking a cigarette and I still... I still think, oh, they must be the cool character. Mm. I see someone smoking uh, an e-cigarette on... Uh, and that's, that's actually changing, but initially I thought, oh... I thought, oh, the they must be riders. pushing this. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. must be pushing e-cigarettes here. Instead yeah. of, like, you know, smoking and like, oh, that's normal. But, you know, in films and stuff, and that's what someone would do. But when I see e-cigarettes, I'm like, who's paying them? Yeah. on trend. Yeah. But same as when I see social media used in films, I'm like, oh, yeah, trying to be relevant and uh, <laughs> modern, bringing in social media into this film. I don't know, just me. Yeah. But I suppose we don't yet have the cultural shorthand around like a lot of new drugs and like vaping and things like that to know what that that is supposed to say about the character. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. What does vaping mean about someone? Can I um, can I raise a film? Raise a film. Please raise a film. We've talked about smashed. Yeah, you've had your smashed. (laughs) What are you bringing up? Is it Nosferatu? 
Or is it going to be? I can't think of a single film from the nineties. Is it my best friend's wedding? No. I want to raise an anecdote about a film as well. Okay, Rob. So. <laughs> so I wanted to raise uh, Bad Lieutenant, the original Bad Lieutenant with um, Harvey Keitel in it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a remake with Kevin Costner, which I haven't watched, which I've known. To, I've made my is piece it because with, it's not in the nineties or the twenties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And um, I've made my peace with Kevin Costner, but I still won't watch Bad Lieutenant. So the original Bad Lieutenant is this film about um, Harvey Keitel is this very, very corrupt, very, very, very corrupt cop um, who wanders around. Um, he, he takes drugs. He does corrupt things, um, very corrupt things. He's a, he's a bad lieutenant. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's in the title. Yeah, <laughs> this is he the sticks spoiler. to his name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really there. Um, and um, and he has he has this one particular crime to to solve, which he. Um, which is kind of a very loose narrative for it, but basically the narrative is his kind of spiralling drug use, uncontrollability, this kind of lifestyle that almost fitted him at one point, which then doesn't, and there's redemption in there. It's a a really, really good film. But the reason I raise it here is because I think it, um, there are two parts. Firstly, it really depicts the kind of, the nonsense of drug use, the kind of running around, going from scene to scene to scene without it, there really being anything to tie them together. And this kind of immediacy of, of behaviour and response and behaviour and right, I'll go here now, I'll go here now. And you really get a sense of, I think this is part Heidi Keitel's acting, part, um, part of the whole film, but you really get this sense of unravelling and incoherence. But there's also this scene where he, he, he buys and takes some, some heroin and in the midst of this kind of cacophony of, of chaos that, that the film becomes, there's this really, really slow scene where he, he takes heroin and just kind of slowly slumps forward. And it's a, it's, a, it's a long shot. It's probably only kind of a couple of minutes or something. But it really lasts. And you see this kind of something about that kind of escapism of heroin really makes sense in that scene because you've got a whole film of chaos. And then when he takes this particular drug there's just kind of stillness um, and for him as the character and for, for, for that film I think it, it really depicts something I, um, I make no comment on whether it's appropriate to do so or not but I think it really represents something about that drug in a way that I've not seen uh, before or since mm-hmm. Who's the director of that film? Ah. Props to that director. Props yeah, to that props. director. No, props to Harvey Keitel. I accredit everything to Harvey Keitel. <laughs> well, in The Wire, the TV series, beautiful. The Wire, they um, apparently praised how they depicted heroin use in that because mm. they actually, you know, had discussions with the heroin users in Baltimore and, you know, used them as, like, method acting, I guess, mm. um, to see how it was. And, and, you know, they had a lot of good reviews back on that of how they, how it was depicted. So there are there are examples of mm. how it's been done really well and how it's been praised and how they've actually had discussions with people who use the drug instead yeah. of just going, oh, I think this is what happens with heroin use, so then going for it yeah, instead yeah. of that. So... I was just going to say an anecdote of how um, I was really upset after watching Requiem for a Dream Gosh. because it was the most upsetting depiction of, of drug use ever and it really scarred me for life. I've only seen 20 minutes of it. Oh, I, don't I watch will, anymore. You know, I th- I, you know, it does end horrifically. There's a whole abscess, there's the whole prostitution. Thing. It's all awful. But I, the, the saddest part for me was the, the mum. Yeah, well, when the oh, fridge yeah. is too big. When the fridge is too big. Is that in your 20 minutes yeah. that you saw of the film? <laughs> yeah. I'll, pick, I'll, think, I'll pick up the saddest thing in the 20 minutes that I saw it of it. It spirals from there, Lindsay. Oh, no, no. there's no. so... The oh problems my get gosh. bigger than the fridge, which is too big. <laughs> I watched it on a night when I was um, 
living in Bristol with my mate and I was so upset afterwards we were just like sat in silence for about half an hour and then I had to put never mind the buzzcocks on to like really brighten the mood with Simon Amstel with Simon Amstel yes oh that brighten anyone that's mood. what I mean I was just like <laughs> what do we need we need Simon Amstel right now mm. and so we did that and I was just like I don't think I can ever watch that film again like I get it and you know I've watched it now I can tick it off my uh, to-do list of films and I can move on with my mm. addiction career but my god <laughs> Yeah. Um, I don't know. Have we done all the films that we wanted to say? Do we want to talk about that scene in Pulp Fiction? Uh, but there's that famous scene where um, Uma Thurman, the character yes. that Uma Thurman plays... The dancing. ...was overdosed. <laughs> oh, she's overdosed. Okay. She's overdosed on what Let's she talk about the dancing was... on this podcast. <laughs> what, she th- <laughs> what she thought was heroin. No, what she thought... She thought was coke. Where the character, um, played by Uma Thurman, um, anyone? No, I don't know what the character is. No, I got nothing. I don't watch Um, it. So she um, overdoses on what she, because she takes what she thinks is uh, cocaine, but is actually incredibly pure heroin. Why would you make that mistake? Uh, Because it was white. White. They look the same, okay. Well, no, traditionally they don't. Uh, So there's different forms of heroin. What's become more popular or more kind of ubiquitous is the uh, brown form of heroin. But uh, it's kind of China white um, is a white form of heroin, and particularly in Pulp Fiction, you know, again, it's kind of quite hypocritical. And uh, he buys from Jeff Bridges. Um, Jeff Bridges? Wouldn't we all want our dealer to be Jeff Bridges? Oh, Am yeah, I right? In a dressing gown. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who Jeff Bridges is. Oh, oh. back to not knowing about films. <laughs> so coming out now. Read off so, about four uh, films. <laughs> um, Sorry, Rob. So she's overdosed, um, and they go to Jeff Bridges in their dressing gown, and they try to revive her, and he uh, he sticks um, um, uh, like an adrenaline pen through the heart and, and revives her, and she comes round. Um, and this is a kind of mythological retelling of the kind of naloxone thing, which is this injection that can bring people back from overdose that, that hospitals carry, that... There's a lot of research at the moment about whether prisoners should be given it or, or drug users, injecting drug users, should be given it so that they can use it as and when they or other people um, around them overdose. And again, it's, it's really, it's a really um, important kind of cultural moment in film and um, it kind of matches a lot, of, a lot of research, a lot of treatment that's out there. And, um, but yeah. is kind of... Um, it, it's a dramatised version. Which, which and adrenaline instead of naloxone. Yeah. Mm. And you don't need to have it in your heart either. That's what I hear. Yeah. As, as I'm not a med, medic. But, um, yeah. But yeah. With naloxone, I hear they're making a nasal spray. Mm, they are. Mm. Check out John Strang's recent research to find out more about that. Check out on ACAST. Wouldn't have made such... But uh, that's, that's a really good example because like, yeah. that wouldn't have made such a dramatic scene. No, wouldn't John Travolta <laughs> drives Uma Thurman. He doesn't have to ponder for about a minute over where to put it and then puts a red pen on a chest. He doesn't have to do any of that. Does the nasal spray. God, where do I put it? (laughs) (laughs) Then, shh, oh, she's back. (laughs) Don't worry, guys. It was all all over in a flash. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Another example of life-ruining art. (laughs) Research-ruining art. Yeah. Um, Okay, thanks for listening to our final podcast for now. TBC. Um, TBC to be continued oh, at some point but thank you for all our listeners who's been listening every week but thank you for listening it's been wonderful to do these podcasts yeah. and yeah we'll see you at some point thanks for listening to What's the Crack just want to say words? just want to say thank you to the Wellcome Trust in King's College London for funding us and yeah, letting us buy us. this equipment 
Perfect. I want to say thanks to all of our guests. Oh, this is like the Oscars. Off. This is the Oscars. It's this like is so meta. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, I'm never going to win an award for anything, so I might as well take the time now. Just want to say thank you to all of our guests who are too numerous to mention, but thank you so much for coming on and mm-hmm. for contributing everything. Thank you to Elle for hosting every week Woo-hoo. and holding everything together, Yay. knowing everything about everything. Um, thank you to Rob for having the original idea to make a podcast. Great idea. People love podcasts. And thanks to you, Lindsay, for knowing so much about films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Who, Who knew? knew? Um, so, yeah, you're welcome anytime. <laughs> no problem. Um. <laughs> if you want to keep on in touch with us, we've got the Twitter, as always. I'm sure Lindsay will check it sporadically throughout her time, as always. Thank you very much, everybody, and good night. Good night. night. Mic drop.